Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Nick's Notes. Uh, I think we're getting to double digits. I think this is episode 10. Um, so there are now more episodes of Nick's Notes than there are of Star Wars, uh, which is, you know, I don't know, probably more people have seen Star Wars, though, I imagine. Um, I'm very excited to introduce our guest on today's show. It's Amit Garg from Tau Ventures. Uh, Tau is an investor in my new company, Hey Renee. Amit instantly saw the, the, the vision, and I've known him for a long time. Honestly, he's a definition of a value-added investor in all the right ways and none of the wrong ways, and, and we're thrilled to have him. So welcome, Amit. For that introduction, Nick, really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here uh, with you and Jared, who runs Slice of Healthcare. Awesome. Well, I mean, look, I, I want to cover a lot of things because most of the time, most of our listeners don't get to talk to a, a VC of your caliber or any caliber that often. And I do a lot of speaking to young and first-time entrepreneurs here at UC Irvine, UCLA, a lot of entrepreneur societies. I, I try to be, that's my way of giving back. And there's probably one question I get asked more than any other. And I would love to, for people to hear that answer directly from a venture capitalist, which is, the question I get asked is, yeah, but Nick, you've done this three times, four times, five times. You know the VCs. They know you. You have a track record. If you are a first-time entrepreneur and you are doing something for the first time, what does someone have to do to get your attention and to get money from you? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Nick. Actually, one that I hear a fair bit also. Um, in fact, if I look at the Tau Ventures portfolio right now, uh, about half of our entrepreneurs are first-time entrepreneurs. Um, and different investors will have different mixes around this. Um, so I th look, uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's about giving conviction to the investor that what you are saying, you can actually accomplish. Um, a first-time entrepreneur may not have as much experience fundraising, may not understand some of those terms, but what they can have very much so is have a plan hey, this is my vision. This is how I'll execute these. Um, this is step one, step two, step three, step four. This is how I'll use that money. This is how I'll get to the next milestone. And here's the things I don't know. I have enough self-awareness of the gaps. And this is why I would like to work with other folks who have perhaps been there, done that, or that can show me different aspects around my business. So that's what we look for. Uh, we do primarily seed, but we do a little bit of A and B also. And, but essentially early stage, we're looking ultimately for an A team. We're not looking for perfection. If I mean, if you have your team already with everything figured out, then you shouldn't even be raising money, right? Yeah. Um, we look for that mindset. You have that hustle to go out and figure things out. You have the humility to also understand what you don't know. Great. And if you had to pick between one of these three things, and I know it's a combination, obviously, between the plan, the vision, the core idea itself, and the, the person, the entrepreneur. The person. That's what- that, I'm okay. preempting, yep, the person. There's, yeah. look, a, I, I like to always say that an A team with a B idea versus a B team with an A idea, I'll always take the first bet because yeah. the first- they can pivot their idea. They can get the help. They, they will figure things out versus the second option. You're always limited by your abilities. So uh, we back entrepreneurs who are willing to take risks, willing to listen to feedback, willing to push back on, on that feedback, yeah. um, especially at the early stage. As you go further along in the construction of a company, 
there's more metrics, right? Mm-hmm. A seed is about a pre-seed is about a PowerPoint. A seed is about a prototype. A mature seed is about having pilots. A series A is about product market fit. A series B is about your business model taking off. Mm-hmm. That's a rough framework, right? As your company takes off, you have more to show, more to diligence. But the team is always the single most important, mm. especially at the early stage. It's disproportionately more important. Yep. yep. And and the thing that I would say, what about an entrepreneur that you don't know, right? You and I, I've had the pleasure of knowing you for a while. and But an entrepreneur you're meeting for the first time, okay, they come in, they're, they're passionate, they're excited about their idea, et cetera. What are the things that make you think? I'm going to bet on this person, but not this person. What are, what are those characteristics that you look for? Yeah, uh, Nick, um, let me put this even in the context of the times we live in, right? COVID times, we're doing this very uh, conversation over Zoom. Um, we have invested overwhelmingly, not even just some, but overwhelmingly without having met the entrepreneur, even mm-hmm. in person or without knowing them first. I don't think it's a barrier. Mm-hmm. I think what the entrepreneur needs to recognize is what is the investor looking for? Different investors have different criteria for investments. And this is something that's spelled out partially on their websites and through their investments and partially through the conversation, right? Like if somebody comes to me and says, Amit, I'm raising in 50 million for an e-commerce business, I'll say, hey man, like that's great, power to you, but that's not what I do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing that an entrepreneur can do on the practical side is do a little bit of homework before reaching out to an investor. And likewise, an investor should do, I'm putting myself in those shoes, do a little bit of homework about the entrepreneur before even engaging with them. We like to go through their decks if they're willing to share it beforehand, but I do my homework, my research on the, whatever is publicly available on the entrepreneur to understand this is what their background is. This is what they're bringing to the table. This is how they met their co-founders. This is how they may be able to build a team. This is perhaps why they have this vision, this product idea. And these are perhaps some of the gaps that they will be facing. Every single team faces gaps, right? And it's this interplay, this conversation between the entrepreneur and the investor that you find a good fit. Uh, for the listeners today, let me just give you some statistics. We look at 2000 decks. We end up taking a first meeting with maybe 200 of them, second meetings with about 100 third meetings with about 50, and then actually very, very deep diligence with about 25 and end up investing in maybe six to eight companies per year. So it's a smaller ratio, much smaller ratio than everything that comes to us. Doesn't mean that there aren't good companies that we ended up passing. It's just that there needs to be a good fit. And finding that fit takes a little bit of an art, takes a little bit of science. Yeah, and I'll add for the entrepreneurs that are first timers, especially, that there are two things. One, to underscore what Amit just said, know your investor, right? And there's a, it's a lot easier. The first time I raised money in 1998, it was literally, there was a printed book and you had to call and make an appointment with the assistant and there was no Zoom and there was, now everything is on the internet. I remember talking to one of the investors when we were raising money for Hey Renee, she had been at McKinsey and written a paper about climate change. I read the whole paper and I, complimented her. I climate change is an area I'm passionate about. But the point is, know your investor. And the second thing that is even more important than the first is an investor doesn't want to be the smartest person about your business. They want to know you're the smartest person about your business. Absolutely. They want, they want to know that when challenges come up, you have, you're going to solve them. You read, you care, you're informed, you're erudite and passionate. I've had investors tell me, Nick, I don't know what the hell you're doing but I know that you know what you're doing, right? So 
I think those are two really important things. Um, yeah, sorry. and Nick, I'll, I'll just add one more to this and kudos to you for, for this point. Uh, it's blatantly obvious to me during the diligence process that you are somebody who knew what they were doing and cared. Uh, all the articles you would send out, all the little updates you would send out. I encourage entrepreneurs to look at the diligence process as, as, as building a relationship, right? Maybe it doesn't work out right away. Then that's fine. You want to make sure that even the investor that didn't end up taking a bet is an ambassador for you, is an ally for you. Some yeah. of them will even go beyond and make introductions for you. And you have to be a little careful with that. But um, sometimes, you know, those introductions actually end up becoming investors. Yeah. So lo look at it as a relationship you're building rather than a transaction. Yeah, I, I, I will say that the lead investor of this round that Amit came into and Tao came into is a group called Quiet Capital and the partner there, Morgan Livermore, I met two times when he was a associate at Heal, right? A associate at Axel Partners looking at Heal. Sorry, not at Heal. He was an associate at Axel Partners looking at Heal. And a huge fund like Axel, associate sort of low person on the totem pole. Well, he grew and we kept in touch and he followed Heal and used Heal. And I kept in touch with him and I had a conversation with him and he's like, Nick, I wanted to invest in you seven years ago. Let's do this, right? So these are relationships you have to build. Okay, I mean, one more question, another question for you, which is lots of money going into health tech, lots of ideas. You get 2000 X, not all of them are health tech, but a lot of them are, some of them are. What does someone have, what are you looking for in health tech? I mean, you just, hey, Renee, hopefully you were looking for and you invested, but what are you looking for now? Where, where do you think the gaps are? Oh boy, uh, so you're right. Uh, about half of what we look is health because the other half is my partner who does enterprise. And there's obviously an overlap between the two of them, but that's still like almost a thousand companies a year. And our thesis at Tau is in AI first fund. We're in the heart of Silicon Valley. We invest actually about half in Silicon Valley, half outside, case in point, Hey Renee is the center of gravity, SoCal. Um, and we have invested a lot in Boston, New York, et cetera. And the world is flat. So we think that there's great innovations everywhere. We focus, especially US and Canada. Um, and uh, what we look for, once again, is AI. That's our thesis, right? A different investor might have a different thesis. But now when you look at the broader spectrum here of what's missing in healthcare, oh my God, like there's so much to be done. We spend $3.3 trillion. That's the latest figure I have in healthcare in the US. It's about 18 to 19% of our GDP. One third of our cost is administrative. It's off the charts if you compare it to developed countries. Like OECD is an index of the developed countries. We spend double the amount of the average and we have worse outcomes. We spend almost three exactly. or four times in administrative costs than we should. Like we have, have very strong opinions about this. Anybody who's in healthcare has strong opinions about this. We, we've created a Frankenstein in the US because we have patched up a system that was built yep. over time instead of actually building something for these times. And it's, it's the result of a lot of good intentions. Most people in healthcare are, are passionate about what they do, providers, payers, pharma. It's just that everybody's constrained by this structure, by the system that we have created. So we look for ways on fixing the system and improving the system. So we look for both fixes and improvements. Uh, we have invested in a company that uses machine learning for drug discovery, right? Like drug discovery is a 10 year, $1 billion process. Can we do that faster using a lot more data analysis? We invested in two companies that do pre-auth, which is basically 
reducing the amount of paperwork that goes on before you get approval to get a medical test, mm -hmm. right? Like there's so much paperwork that goes behind the scenes. So we have taken not one, but two bets on that mm -hmm. space. We've invested in a company that uses machine learning to help with triage and diagnostics. So that when you hit up a healthcare system, instead of going through multiple layers of approvals and calls, the system already triages you into the right level of care and also helps the doctor with, uh, with some kind of form of diagnostics. Mm. So let me take one step above this. We look at technology as not a end all be all, but as a very powerful tool for mm. humans to help humans, right? We, I have an analogy that I've used often in conversations. 200 years ago, we came up with another innovation and there was a lot of resistance to take up that innovation. And people said, why do I need to quantify numbers uh, in order to understand my patients? We call that innovation the thermometer, right? 200 years ago, it took about 50 years for the thermometers to get accepted. Yep. AI is a multidimensional, multifaceted thermometer that allows entrepreneurs and, and corporates and so many people to do so much more. So that's what we are looking for, is that you take technology and take a leapfrog and build things that can make this insane processes that we have in healthcare much better. So uh, I will ask you one last question and I want a quick answer, just a sound bite, and then I'll make a closing comment because we, we try to keep these short. How, from, it's 2021 August. In what calendar year is AI delivering predictive healthcare that is broadly, I know it's in radiology and some other places, but broadly more accurate than a physician will do based on a clinical exam? Yeah, so that's a, a really big question that people way smarter than me disagree vehemently. Yes. And, uh, there's answers all throughout the spectrum. I can give you my view, uh, which is uh, there are certain areas where AI can deliver as well as a physician, sometimes better than a physician, but not as a replacement to the physician, mm. right? Because you still need the human being the to, to interpret the results, deliver the results, and also to complement what the mm. machine is saying. It's, it's, it's overlapping sets with an overlap, but there's also disjoints, right? So you, it, AI does not replace the doctor. AI does not replace the nurse. It will destroy some jobs, absolutely it will create new jobs also. And um, I think, I, I don't think we're gonna see in a clinical setting a machine giving you a diagnosis anytime soon um, because there's a, a level of regulation and a level of comfort that people need to get there. I think where AI is gonna make the bigger changes is behind the scenes, is mm -hmm. helping people triage, is helping people um, perhaps with assisted diagnostics. It's going to help with paperwork, with billing, with payments. Mm. On the front end, I think what AI can do is perhaps helping you detect signals out of noise, right? Two thirds of arrhythmias are undiagnosed. If you have a wearable that has some AI to it, it can pinpoint that point in time where, hey, look, this may be indicative of an mm. arrhythmia. Let's explore it further. And mm. now you have human beings who have deep knowledge in it that can explore it further. So yeah. I don't expect my care to be done by an AI anytime soon. But I do expect very much, I would like to see an AI be part of my care team, hopefully within the next five to 10 years. Awesome. Well, Amit, thank you. We could go on for hours. This is a phenomenally exciting conversation and I hope the viewers find it useful. Again, Amit Gerg is with Tau Ventures. You'll see all the info below, but 
is a phenomenal, phenomenal asset. And I'll just close by saying to any entrepreneur, you, it's sometimes easy to look at the $15 billion, $8 trillion, whatever that's been invested in health tech and say, all the ideas are gone. We're in inning one. We're in the first batter of the first inning of this because it is a Franken monster and it is broken and it needs to total overhaul. And the best ideas are yet to come. So be inspired and work hard. Thank you, everyone.